Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. In our last episode, we continued our examination of the January 7th sentencing hearing for the three now convicted men with a look at excerpts from the sentencing arguments of defense attorneys Bob Rubin on behalf of Travis McMichael and the first half of Laura Hogue's statement on behalf of Greg McMichael. In this episode, we present the conclusion of Laura Hogue's arguments as well as the statements of Kevin Goff on behalf of his client, William Roddy Bryan. That's all coming up right after the break. like in a death penalty case, how do you decide? We now know there are no statutory aggravators based on the notice. We now have told you about how the factors that the state said arise out of the trial actually escalate this out of life with parole to life without parole. I suggest to the court that we rely on a wonderful system that the federal United States sentencing guidelines set up and the United States Code, and that's you look at two things. You look at the nature and circumstances of the offense, and you look at the history and the characteristics of the defendant. Let's talk, number one, about the nature and circumstance of the offense. The best indicator of what happened in order to respect the jury's verdict is to listen to the jury's verdict. The jury found that Greg McMichael as a party to the crime, committed felonies that unintentionally led to Ahmad Arbery's death. After deliberating for over 10 hours, over two days, they came back with a unanimous verdict that says, in effect, Greg McMichael did not leave his home that day hoping to kill. He did not view his son firing that shotgun with anything other than fear and sadness. What this jury found is that this was an unintentional act. 
one that Greg McMichael did not plan, devise, attempt, or seek to have the result that happened. So if life without parole is a sentence that is held for only the worst of the worst, it simply can't be a sentence for a person who never intended that tragic result that took place on February 23rd. If you never wanted another person to die as a result of activities you took part in, you can't be the worst of the worst. Secondly, Your Honor, you should take in account extenuating or mitigating evidence that you heard in trial. Greg McMichael sought to detain Ahmad Arbery for one reason and one reason only. It was not for sport. It was not for evil. It was for the same reason that the police who repeatedly came to Satilla Shores came there for. It was to get to the bottom of Ahmad Arbery's nighttime intrusion into Larry English's house. The verdict spoken by this jury, based on their understanding of the law of citizen's arrest, found that Greg McMichael did not possess the information he needed to possess to attempt to execute a citizen's arrest. And that meant that Travis was not in a position to defend himself because he was the initial aggressor if there was no citizen's arrest that could be supported by the facts and the law. That is the offense that you heard, a reason that is not an evil reason, not a reason of hate, not a reason of anything other than trying to help other people to get to the bottom of this inquiry. Further support of extenuating and mitigating circumstances from the trial you saw in the video itself. As painful as it was to watch, I'm sure the court does recall that when you saw Greg McMichael in the back of the pickup truck, in the bed of the pickup truck, not directing, not doing anything that's going to be the person who's advancing the progression of this from the attempt to stop and detain Ahmaud Arbery into what it ultimately became, you most importantly saw that Greg McMichael never even sought to remove his handgun from its holster until after you heard the first shot, the first shot that took place in front of that pickup truck. So while he's on the phone begging for 911 to come and help, that is the moment he removed his handgun and never fired a shot. That is the nature and the circumstances of the offense that this court heard and upon which the jury reached their verdict. After reviewing what she argues is mitigating evidence of Greg McMichael's intent in committing the crimes of which he was convicted, Hogue references McMichael's biographical history as further mitigating evidence. So now, the history and the characteristics of Greg McMichael. Because we know that history is the only reliable measure of a person's character. Greg McMichael is 66 years old. So, Ms. Donikoski, there has not been just 99 good deeds, but more like thousands and thousands of big and little good acts of kindness, charity, goodwill throughout this man's life. Greg McMichael is a good man. 
He's not a perfect person. None of us are. But he's lived a good life, a life dedicated to service. And that does count for something. The choices he made as a young man all the way through the rest of his life to serve, not to acquire wealth, not to do anything that brought extreme attention to himself, but to quietly go through the business of choosing career options to help other people. You heard at the bond hearing and during the trial of this case, Greg McMichael chose as a young man to serve this country by enlisting in the Navy. And after an honorable discharge, some years later decided to serve his community. Over 30 years in law enforcement. He was not a patrol officer, then later a detective, then later an investigator with the DA's office because he sought power. There was no evidence of anything like that. Never any complaints about him being aggressive, about him seeking to take matters in his own hands without seeking the appropriate backups. He was not a gun-toting, aggressive officer. His wife testified during the bond hearing. One matter of pride that Greg McMichael always had is that he never had to discharge his weapon during the service of his community. And of course, he wasn't a law enforcement officer or an investigator for the DA's office for money. That's laughable. He did it to help. He did it to serve and protect other people. His post file that the court had into evidence during the bond hearing indicated numbers of commendations and notes from people in the community indicating how grateful they were for his kindness to people who had lost loved ones. Things that are above and beyond the work that he needed to do. Those examples of commitment, of empathy and kindness are further examples of who Greg McMichael is. He is a husband. For over 38 years through thick and thin, he's a son, a brother, a father, and a devoted grandfather. So yes, that's how I stand before you, Your Honor, representing Greg McMichael, who has now been convicted of murder. And I say without hesitation, he remains a man of goodness. He needs to be punished. But how that contrast between a life of goodwill and service and the bad decisions that were made that day that resulted in a tragedy that the jury said unanimously he never intended could end up in the state seeking the sort of sentence that is devised for the worst of the worst is not consistent. In many courtrooms, Your Honor, right behind the judge, there is the seal of the state of Georgia. And our Georgia state seal has three words on it. Wisdom, justice, but most importantly, moderation. Life without parole versus life with the possibility of parole may be nothing more than academic for 
a 66-year-old man with significant health problems because it means 30 years, at the very least, in prison. But it is an important distinction. It will affect all sorts of other things that could happen to Greg McMichael while he's in prison. But most significantly, it is the only way, Your Honor, to honor the jury's verdict that Greg McMichael committed crimes for which he never intended the result. For that reason, for the lack of evidence of aggravation, for the presence of significant evidence of extenuation and mitigation, we ask the court to sentence Mr. McMichael to life with the possibility of parole. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. After Lara Hogue concludes her statement, Kevin Goff rises to make his argument on behalf of William Roddy Bryan. He begins by supporting Prosecutor Linda Donikoski's recommendation that Bryan receive the lesser sentence of life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Your Honor, let me begin by making clear that nothing I say should constitute a withdrawal or abandonment of any other sentencing-related or punishment-related motions previously filed. Beyond that, if this were any other case, when it comes to sentencing, I'd be turning to Ms. Donikoski and saying, Judge, what she said. I agree. In a lot of ways, the sentence recommended by the state should be the judgment of the court. But this is not a normal case. And there is one issue that the state's sentencing recommendation did not address. Your Honor, like Travis and Gregory McMichael, Roddy Bryan is a first offender. He has no prior felony convictions. Like Travis and Greg McMichael, Roddy Bryan has lived a life however well-lived, that warrants an opportunity and potential for redemption and rehabilitation. While Mr. Bryan is also a first offender, also worthy of rehabilitation based on the life that he's lived, that's where the similarity between Roddy Bryan and the McMichael defendants ends. And I would submit to the court that that isn't the end of the sentencing inquiry for Mr. Bryan. I would respectfully submit that it's the beginning. To me, there are four additional factors that the court has to consider in fashioning a sentence here. Issue number one is the jury verdict says that Roddy Bryan was not a party to the shooting, nor a shooter. Roddy did not kill Mr. Arbery. He did not attempt to kill Mr. Arbery. He did not intend to kill Mr. Arbery. He had no idea that the McMichaels had guns until moments before the shooting. And that's not just an opinion. That's pretty much a jury verdict. When they found him not guilty of anything related to the shooting, that's a reflection of the fact that Mr. Bryan had no idea of what was about to happen. Roddy Bryan was not a vigilante. He was not a party to any organized effort to fight crime in Satilla Shores. Roddy Bryan really had no idea what was going on or why until after the tragic death of Mr. Arbery. That factor really puts Mr. Bryan in a different position. And I think that reflects his intentions and it reflects a significantly lesser state of culpability. 
The second issue, Your Honor, is the issue of remorse. Mr. Bryant has expressed remorse. He expressed remorse about Mr. Arbery's death even before he was arrested on national television. But beyond that, when you look at his statements in this case, I think it is readily clear that while Mr. Bryan has disputed and continues to dispute whether things that he did that day constituted crimes, he has never questioned the tragedy of this death and has never expressed anything but remorse over the death of Mr. Arbery. And that does put him in a very different category, I would submit, in a very different posture from the other defendants. He wasn't running around the scene trying to influence witnesses' testimony, as the state alleges other people have done. He was very candid and straightforward, and you heard his demeanor on the video at the crime scene. Mr. Bryan says to Agent Sechrist that he was sorry that Ahmaud Arbery died, that he wished he had stayed on his front porch. He's not going around boasting to people or bragging about it. He's regretful way back then, and that is before he was arrested. Your Honor, I think when you take those statements in conjunction with the rest of the evidence in this case, Mr. Bryan has done everything he could do short of confessing to committing felonies on national television uh, that he is remorseful and regretful at this tragic loss of life. The last issue, Your Honor, and I think the court is well familiar with it, is Mr. Bryan's full cooperation with law enforcement from minutes after the shooting. Like lawyers didn't tell Roddy Bryan to turn over the cell phone, to talk on the scene on the body cams, to go down hours later to the police department. Roddy Bryan did that because he wanted the truth to be known. Whatever that was, whatever it meant, these are all factors above and beyond anything that applied to the McMichael defendants as to why Mr. Bryan should receive a lesser sentence. In the final part of his statement, Kevin Goff argues that Georgia law empowers Judge Walmsley to suspend or probate all or any part of a sentence and requests that the judge use that power to offer his client, William Bryan, the opportunity to apply for parole sooner than the 30-year statutory mandate. Now, the mandatory minimum in Georgia is life imprisonment on a felony murder. Even if the court grants life without parole sentences, as the state has requested, to the McMichaels, simply giving Mr. Bryan a sentence of life with the possibility of parole, still given the, the respective ages, means that he would essentially serve the same sentence and that there would be no options there. So I'm asking this court to consider sentencing Mr. Bryan and Mr. Bryan only under OCGA 17-10-1B, a request for relief from parole restrictions may authorize consideration by the parole board of parole prior to the completion of any specified time period otherwise required prior to parole eligibility. Imposing sentence under this statute does not grant Mr. Bryan parole. He still may never receive parole. He could still die in prison 50 years from now. All that that does, however, is it gives the parole board the ability to parole Mr. Bryan whenever they see fit regardless of any statute or rule that would otherwise prevent it. Now, Mr. Bryan still has a long road here to establish the redemption and the rehabilitation that would justify his ever being released from prison. This doesn't guarantee him that he would do one day less in prison than he would otherwise do under the sentence that the court is about to impose. But what it does do 
is provide the opportunity for the parole board to exercise its discretion in deciding whether to release Mr. Bryan when they believe it would be appropriate and not based on some arbitrary preconceived mandatory minimum time period before he could be considered. And I believe that this is that rare exceptional case where relief under 1710-1B would be appropriate. And I would respectfully submit to the court that as a practical matter, it's really the only relief that the court can give Mr. Bryan to reflect his cooperation, his expression of remorse, and the other factors uh, that I've reviewed with the court today. That doesn't change the sentencing recommendation. I I'm concurring with the state putting aside the legal arguments about merger and vacating of sentences, I'm agreeing with them that the sentence of life plus 15 consecutive probation, that that would be the appropriate sentence in this case. I think the only thing that we really are disagreeing about at this point is I'm expecting the state is not going to be excited about 1710-1B, but I'm asking the court to do that anyway. And in this relatively small instance, it's really the only thing this court can do that would substantially reflect the wide chasm in differences in culpability and other issues between Mr. Bryan and the McMichael defendants. There probably isn't another individual in the entire Georgia prison system that's in a similar posture. And thanks to the changes the legislature has made to the citizen arrest statute, it will certainly never be an issue again. So again, we're asking the court to impose a sentence of life imprisonment plus 15 years, but we're also asking the court to grant relief under 1710-1B. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of the sentencing hearing with Prosecutor Linda Donikoski's rebuttal to the defense attorney's statements. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>